0: Thank you for joining me, Mark Grixty, for this invitation to explore deeper together into the divinity, science, spaciousness, and intuition of hurt and healing with awe in trauma. So Mario, thank you so much for joining me. It's so beautiful to spend time with you again.
1: Thank you, Mark. Uh, thank you for all you are doing in, in your country and in the world for spreading brain spotting and trauma.
0: Yeah, well, thank you too. It's, it's, it's been a real journey uh, working in trauma and brain spotting has really taught me so much. And I remember the first time I met you, we were in, I think we were in a, a cafe or a restaurant in a hotel in Brazil because of the first brain spotting conference. And yeah, yeah, I just felt such warmth. Uh, coming from you I just thought I need to spend more time with this man
1: <laughs> oh thank you yeah thank you much.
0: so well, I mean you've done so much beautiful work I know you're based in Barcelona and you know you do work all around Spain have family all over and things and you've done so much beautiful work and I've read some of it but I haven't got around to reading your latest book yet so it'd be great to get a sense of the kind of things you feel passionate about in the work that you do Mario
1: well uh, I'm passionate of uh, the field in the field of trauma and uh, this this makes me write this book which is is in English uh, since uh, two years ago I think this beyond, is
0: the, beyond the self healing emotional Trauma and brain spotting by America yeah. the Salvador beautiful and forward by David Grant yeah
1: yeah yeah and it's, I wrote six chapters on this book which is the first one is about how we build the ideas of who we are. And this is how we build, depending on the interpersonal relational experiences. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I begin to uh, throw the idea that before we we have any idea of our ego, we already are beings, you know, Mm -hmm. before we have having a name, before, being identified with a nationality or our culture, we already are, which is our essential sense of being. The second chapter, I I write about uh, psychotraumatology and how these traumatic experiences uh, shape our brain architecture and our nervous system. And in the third, third one, I write about how Chronic traumatization begins to even fragment our sense of uh, egos, you know. Chronic, chronic traumatization could affect the vertical fragmentation of ourselves. Mm-hmm. They are also based on neurobiology, you know, the, the action systems, survival action systems, and how to work with these senses, sometimes senses of, different senses of who we are. Uh In in trauma, we we have all, all of we have suffered from trauma, you know. It's not who are traumatized or who are not. It's the degree. (laughs) The degree. And what is characteristic in trauma is the the internal struggle between different parts inside of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is I wrote in chapter four, chapter three, chapter four is on, on the systemic approach. You know, yes, the same idea that that we uh, grow in systems, family system, uh-huh. cultural system, a religious system, a national system, and all these systems are just flooding, influencing on us. So we grow in systems we develop in systems uh and the systems are traumatized also you know Mm. this this chapter is on transgenerational talk how our identity do not begin with us yeah we are just a continuation i see yeah
0: that's beautiful isn't it um i love that the way that we are mirroring and mirrored by the systems around us from birth, perhaps before, but this is lovely because even when you get into your stage three and you're looking at the ego and how this is split in terms of all these parts, and then there can be in so much conflict, this is also taking us back to the first stage in a way because there's transgenerational material that we're carrying through right back to being an infant, right back into being a baby, um, so there's this beautiful, I suppose it's quite a circular uh, as well as a systemic approach. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, what is characteristic in trauma is that
1: trauma finds a way to uh, awake and to say, I'm here. You know, my pain is still remaining. My pain is still needing attention. So there are many ways that trauma tries to express itself with intense emotions or in physical sensations or physical symptoms, but also in behavior. So we know that traumatized people that are not healed uh, act on others violently or, or being victims. So all the time the trauma is trying to express, so it's circular. If we do not pay attention to provide the healing of these people, of ourselves, and our cultures, uh, this is growing exponentially.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, wow. um, just to, to, I'm really intrigued to cut back into stage one of your, your book and your and your approach to to this kind of developmental aspects and of who we are, how we are. We're all we're all in trauma. Okay we've all got trauma I hear you clearly there and I lo- I think realizing that is a quite a relief sometimes that there's nobody that escapes trauma this is part of the human condition it's normal it's natural and we're all there yeah, yeah.
1: well I, I wouldn't say that it's natural but, it, but it's normal <laughs> in the sense that that it is in our cultures you know if I don't remember, if I remember well, in the last 500 years in Europe, we have had around 100 wars, you know. Mm. And afterwards, cultures just uh, dedicate their efforts to rebuild the the infrastructures, uh, to provide uh, ways of uh, having food enough for people or to heal even physical wounds, but we didn't have the knowledge. And even today that we have the knowledge, we do not uh, dedicate time to heal the emotional wounds. Mm -hmm. So these emotional wounds are in our ancestors for many, many generations. And these wounds are hijacking part of the uh, energy of people. This energy is not available for relationships, it's not available to just enjoy life. Uh, so, we come from caretakers that are in some degree traumatized. And it means that they, they did sometimes so badly, sometimes not so badly, but uh, the, the way they could, mm-hmm. you know. But again, Uh, we now have the knowledge of trauma Mm -hmm. and our culture is traumatized. So it's as living as a fish in the sea. Mm -hmm. You know, the fish do not know that there is another way of living, Mm -hmm. another Mm media. So this is all we have. So if we are born and we grow in in, in, in this, the trauma that is around, inserted in our, our culture, We are not aware of. Mm. We are not aware of. We we live in denial with a lot of uh, beliefs that that try to push down and deny our pain. So that's why I think it's so, so important that uh, a society could be trauma-informed and to know that this subtle ways of traumatization also in our everyday life. Yeah.
0: Oh, I hear I hear that and um, yeah the 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 way it's unavoidable, the way you're talking about it there makes me think that we're born in a way we by the time we're born, we're already been kind of designed within a sea of social relationships not just in the present that go right back intergenerationally. so it's like um and you know the architects and the designers of our brains have already happened by the time we're born to an extent and i understand appreciate there's a lot of room for neurogenesis and neuroplasticity and epigenetics and all these kind of developments that mean we can grow but what i'm hearing you say clearly there is it's really important to have an awareness that we don't come into this world just free, ready to go. We are naturally already programmed to some extent to be able to cope with the world we're born into by, through the sort of inheritance that we get intra familiarly, you know, intergenerationally, ancestrally. And once we recognize this, what do we do with it, Mario? Um, I hope that's not too big a question. But when we're working with these kind of approaches with an awareness, and understanding and acceptability, the power of the intergenerational. Just, just, get a sense of, just to get a sense of how you might kind of hold this in the work that you do with your people.
1: Well, um, first it's so important to be aware of how this, we have a prehistory behind. We, we have our own history, but so many times, our own histor- history is hidden by the, this prehistory. You know, I call this in this chapter uh, land histories. Histories that are learned by others in, in kind of a legacy. Uh-huh. So, so so many times so people are, are just trying to compensate the wounds or, or the challenges of their families. They are living for com- compensate or they are living to try to reach goals that do not belong to them you know uh-huh. and, and this is constraining our lives this is inhibiting and uh, it's kind of a toxicity you know mm. that, that is inhibiting the freedom to create our own histories so this is kind of a burden and our biology our cells carry this information our bodies so so knowing this and brain spotting is so powerful to reach the the uh, the eye position to access these experiences to provide release and, and bargaining and for to away our natural qualities mm-hmm. you know so It's so important to identify first and then to really, instead of flying away from this or denying, just coming again, see how sometimes the wants of of our families, the challenges are still remaining constraining, determining the way we live our lives today.
0: That's lovely. And if you're going to work with something like brain spotting with these people, I'm just wondering, you know, and help to to any listeners to understand, because what you're talking about, there's intergenerational work and somebody might have to meet and clear some of that before they can meet their own potential in their lifetime. But I suppose the, the obvious question would be, if all of this information through all these generations remains in an unconscious part of of the system an unconscious part of the body the brain the spirit (sighs) how does the client access that you know how or or how might you use uh, your techniques and brain spotting with that mario
1: well i i think that it's very important first that the therapist the psychotherapist has this frame this perspective you know this map uh i don't think all the therapists has this on their minds, on their way to read uh, systemically uh, the history of their clients, you know, mm. but it's, because for a client it's so difficult to be aware of this because it's like the fish that is living in, uh, inside the water, the same water is yes. in the way. So the therapist should be out of the system, cultural system and personal system to have this perspective. I lay I coined the term of limbic listening.
0: Limbic listening.
1: Limbic listening. Mm. That's the capacity of the therapist. The, uh, trauma therapist should be very open and uh, observe very selectively. You know, the, the cues of the trauma that are emerging in the narrative of the client, you know. So so it's with the help of a, a therapist that is very skillful mm-hmm. on reading these, these uh, cures that could be shown in terms of physical sensations, intense emotions, uh, beliefs, limiting beliefs, uh, physical symptoms, as I said, patterns, relational patterns, or the language of parts, et so the, the the therapist should, we, should point out this because an important part of the job of the therapist is just to lead the attentional processes of the client and put this information that is underneath, hidden, but is flooding the narrative. Mm. Yeah. to put this into a frame. That, that's the task of the therapist. To place a frame on this, and I like to uh, use the metaphor of the frame as a lens. You know, the therapist with the intervention now put a lens on something, mm-hmm. and this lens has two main functions. One is to focus on something. The other one is the amplification of something mm-hmm. for the brain now to go inside and look find when this experience was still alive, was still an experience, a relational experience in a, in a previous context of the life. But coming back to the transgenerational perspective, well, uh, sometimes a client could, could say a cue such, this is not mine, for example, which is an open door to probably transgenerational stuff. Or or sometimes there is an emotion that is not only talking about the history, our our own history. It it could be also talking about the history of the mother and the history of of the grandmother. You know, for example, some in the lineage of the women of the family, depression or the sense of having no one or the sense of shame because of a sexual issue, for example, could mm. began in the, in the history of the grandmother. I don't know, I, I imagine that in UK was the same, uh, but in 100 years ago or 80 years ago, uh, a woman that, that has a, a baby out of the marriage mm. was an issue of shame and rejection. You know, this shame could be still on on the life of the granddaughter, for Uh example. Even even she didn't experience an issue, a sexual issue that justifies this. But the mother was also feeling the shame around sexuality, for example. So there are symptoms also or emotions or beliefs that that are talking not about one person, but the lineage, you know? So the therapist should keep in mind this perspective, systemic perspective and formulate a frame to include the energetic aspects mm-hmm. that are inside this experience uh-huh. that, are, are, that could be talking about many people in the family. Mm-hmm. It make sense?
0: Yeah, it made sense. It brought up so much for me, because even in my lifetime, and I'm not um, 80 years old, like you were referring to there. But in my lifetime, I worked in a hospital um, in England, um, and the hospital was for people with learning disabilities. But what happened was, uh, years ago, decades ago, people were put into this hospital because they had children outside of being married. And one of the cases, it just came to mind, and one of the cases I was involved with was there was a mother who'd had a child when she was like 15, put into the hospital. And the child she had was put into the hospital too. So they were put into separate wards, separate buildings on the hospital grounds. And they both were there for 30 years. The mother didn't have a learning disability, but she'd had a child. The child didn't have a learning disability, but was born out of wedlock, out of marriage. So the two of them for 30 years then had to stay in the institution and they didn't know each other was there. No one told them they stayed there. And then one part of my job was to move people from there back into the community as part of an act we had, a governmental act about care in the community, taking people out of kind of hospitals that were actually kind of prisons really and to take them out and, uh, <laughs> and people saying, well, let's put that mother and daughter together in a flat in the community, having never met each other and all the history that's there to put them together. And uh, you know, my job was to try and assess whether that was a, a good or a bad idea. So it was, it, it, I hear what you're saying about this kind of the way in which we, our lineages is so important, of course, in that very specific example I'm given now, the mother and her daughter actually did experience a lot but there's going to be a real integration in terms of trauma and how it moves through generations and when you're talking about that Mario it makes me think that you started off by talking about the ego and we're alive before there's an ego but when we accept the power of intergenerational kind of transmission of, of information and who we are it moves us away from this. The ego being, I am one, I am self, I'm individual. And the way you describe it there, it just suddenly has a very natural collective feed into it. There's something very much more connected than individual in who we are.
1: Yeah. I I know you are a follower of uh, Easter Easter traditions as myself. Mm. Uh, One of uh, the, the main influences nowadays on my... Way of understanding psychotherapy is teach not Han, you know, the same master. Yeah. Uh, I'm a follower and I go to Plant Village time to time, Mm. not not this time because of the COVID, but uh, I like this community and and Thai uh, teachings, you know. Um, We are interdependent. This idea that we have this self identity this this. Individuation is just a belief, you know? Uh, it's just crazy to believe like this, you know, because our genes uh, ha- carry the information of our lineage. And it's just a, a, a layer in our genes. Our culture, we, we, we build, we grow based on the knowledge of previous generations also. So we do not have start our life in, in our life. We are based on the growing, the legacies, good legacies and survival legacies of our uh, ancestors. We are interdependent in, in this, in this um, uh, line, lifestyle, but we are interdependent also in our lives. The, the food you are uh, eating you have in, in, at, at your home is because previously a farmer, an agriculture was uh, planting it and cultivating it. So that's the idea that, and this is also very important for in psychotherapy, you know, because the research has found also how, for example, our heart, synchronized with the heart of, of the other human, our, our brain synchronized. So the energies are always influencing uh, our way of feeling, our way of being. So keep this in mind that we are interdependent, transgenerational, but generationally also, is so important.
0: That's so lovely. And that's the opposite of everything I was taught years ago when I did my training in to be a psychologist. That's the opposite of everything I was taught. The idea that we have this kind of morphic resonance, this connectivity, this electromagnetic, even spiritual connection with each other wasn't really entertained. And we were taught more and more about being separated rather than being together. And it's taken me many years and to where I am now to uh, to feel that this is the problem. This isn't the solution, but the, actually this is the problem in mental health. This is largely the problem that we've learned to be so alone and isolated, so much to not relate to other people, even when we think we're relating through Facebook and Twitter and whatever. But we've learned to not relate to other people. And even the way we relate to ourselves is one of separation and sort of um individuation even in ourselves we kind of don't understand the richness of who we are because we are identifying with an egoic consciousness the sense of i am mark i am this i am that and it's lost something i've lost all my parts all my richness within that
1: yes that that's a problem you know uh we are creating these these life conditions that are not, not mammalian, mm-hmm. are not mammalian life conditions. We, as, as mammals, we depend. This is not uh, an option. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when psychotherapy forgets this, and this is, I'm very critical with this because more and more we have some approaches that are too technical, you know? And uh, I think that there is something good in being technical or to have a protocol, for example, that, that provides us, could provide us a guide, a procedure to learn. Mm. But if we put this protocol in the middle of a human being and another human being, so we lose the sense of that, that the territory, the territory is, map, is beyond the map. Mm. You know, so many uh, practitioners put the map in the middle and then try to let the experience fit on the map. You know uh, I have a friend that is a psychotherapist, but he's also a physics, and he teaches on uncertainty very deeply. Yeah. And I have been hearing him uh, one month ago saying, "Well, research very soon abandon the observation of the phenomena to go into their theories." And. they organize uh, the research on, based on the, the concepts and theories. Theories. I think this could happen and happen also in psychotherapy. So frequently, so soon, we abandon the observation of the phenomena to go into our theories, our maps.
0: Oh, <laughs> I'm not sure about this, Mario.
1: You are not sure about
0: but if i'm understanding this correctly the move towards being less into the phenomenology and understanding the experience of the person within a relationship in therapy to go more into a neocortical map a kind of yeah a secondary understanding rather than the primary experience absolutely this sounds like a, a bit scary what is scary <laughs> to to
1: go to our neocortex and our our concepts or to remain on
0: that we might be moving out of the body all into the neocortex
1: yeah Mm -hmm. well I think that we have created this this sense of certainty Ah. um, that we need to this provides a sense of safety and and prediction at the same time uh, sacrifice the connection with life, mm. the connection with the, the experience, the connection with our bodies, the connection, deep connection with the others. You know, mm. if if you see what was happening in the world for many many centuries, the wars, we kill our brothers because our, our ideas and concepts. Yeah, for example, mm. and the conflicts are. Pretty much based on our beliefs ideas oh. the fanatism this is dangerous this is the danger
0: mm. it reminds me of i don't know if you have looked at some of the work of ian mcgilchrist there who talks a lot about the brain and neuroscience and not without oversimplifying it but he does talk a lot about the difference between the right and the left side of the brain and it's not that they they're doing different things but they do things differently so although he's saying all of the brain is involved in everything we do the left brain is always looking to separate stuff off in a technical way to try and look at the what the what of everything where the right brain is much more interested in the how the how of everything so the left brain's going what is water and breaking it down and it's h2o and there we go the right brain is how you know how is a river flowing and how is the sea moving with the moon all these so one is a very individualistic compartmentalized way of looking at things the other one is much more interrelational and interdependent way of looking at things and w- the point he makes which i think ties in with what i'm hearing you saying there is the more fearful we become, the more we move into our left brain, where we're trying to over control and reduce everything down so we can control it and understand it. But in doing so, in understanding it, we're actually moving away from what we're originally trying to discover. So we become more and more reductionist. And in doing so, we become more and more controlling, where we lose the richness and the diversity of true life. And we start to work from a very fearful place and he was saying like like you were saying there the analytic and technical part of our brain is important but only then to feed it back into the other part of the brain the right side of the brain that can then incorporate that intelligence into true life again but more and more so as humans we're staying in the left brain control and with control comes a lot of oppression and we've seen that happen it's in the world now more and more perhaps you know mm. yeah absolutely and you, you can see the signs
1: and the consequences of, of this way of thinking you know that the, the humankind is uh, wanted to control nature and wants to control genetics and wants to control everything and now we are just suffering these consequences of with the climate change the uh, we have more and more people depressed, more and more people that consume drugs, more and more people that use violence to resolve and to deal with conflicts and, and uh, so many things that, that we are now, that's, that's kind of perversion of our human nature, you know? Mm. But uh, it comes to my mind also the, the research of so many important researchers, such as uh, Antonio Damasio, for example, Mm. that that says, well, the body is is the the organ of experience, and the mind just thinks about it, makes a map about the experience, but it's not experience, it's just a representation, you know. I think we we, we lose this idea, we forgot this you know, that our ideas are not reality, are not experience, are just a representation. And uh, it has a good intention and they have their, their own functions to help us to deal with practical things in life. Mm. Uh, but if we confuse and we, if we just believe that these, our ideas are the experience, we are losing this sense of vitality that life is, is just a river that flows continually and when a creation is a creation all every second every millisecond is not is not predictable if we see this in nature uh, this is amazing there is not uh, any flower like like any other you know every element is different but it's also the manifestation of life so life is always pushing growing flowing and this is a process not a concept
0: Mm, lovely process and reminds me of the kind of taoist ideas of flow and continual movement and process and there's no beginnings or ends just a continuous movement and and you were talking about bodies of water and also human bodies as well and that the body is actually who well i don't know if i'm saying that right but the body's the place where we can get closest to who we are rather than the thoughts about who we are is, is that is that right mario can you expand on that
1: uh absolutely uh following antonio damasio's teachings he talks about the proto-self you know, the, the, the first idea, the first sense of who we are is we feel in our bodies. You know, if we have a nice, good enough caretaker that uh, takes care of us, that offers loves, good food, good cares, we feel we, we deserve, we feel our dignity, we feel okayness in our bodies because we build ourselves from the bottom up. Mm. As the baby is mainly a subcortical creature uh, full of physical sensations, and these physical sensations just inform the state of the body. Then later, we can put the emotional qualities over the physical sensations. Later on, it, it, they arrive, the beliefs, the concepts, and finally, the purpose, the meaning. You know, and we, so we built ourselves from the bottom up. So the, the core of who we are is in our body. The rest are, are different layers. You know, David Grand. You, I know that you were interviewing David a week or two weeks ago, is now emphasizing branch spotting as a neuro-experiential process, you know, that matches with this idea that our processes begin, are in our in the base, are physiological, neurological, and then affect the rest of our layers, the dimensions of who we feel, who we are.
0: You know? Yeah, I've I've enjoyed that development that David's been putting forward about much more of a kind of a a con- not conceptual shift but a conceptual clarity i suppose about the meeting of the neuro which i think he expands into the neurobiological the nervous system and everything therein <laughs> everything ancient within us really and and the experiential the more the sensory kind of experience and interpretations around them and, and the importance of the two meeting And it's been really um it's been really lovely seeing those and I'm also then it wants me to, you know, and obviously I had a chance to speak with David about this, but I know you're a very, um, you know, very insightful person and very open to this kind of spiritual understandings of who and how we are. And I suppose part of the neuro um, isn't just that we're body and brain, but where this, what this means and what resides within this. And I've, you know, been listening to some and enjoying some discuss, beautiful discussions about the spirit, you know, and whatever people want to consider as the spirit and the soul, and how and where that resides within us, you know, how we can find it, tap into it, or enjoy the resource of 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 our spirit within ourselves, and some of the lovely discussions I've heard about, you know, we can never have answers to, but things like, you know, does the spirit reside within the body? Does it reside within the thoughts within the brain? Does it reside outside the body? (laughs) There's big, big questions, but I've wanted to ask you that anyway, because I'd be fascinated to see if you've got any thoughts sort or of feelings around those kind of ideas around our spirituality, really, and how that may manifest. Yeah, I think that
1: we, we have in our language the, the word incarnation.
0: Mm.
1: Incarnation.
0: Incarnation.
1: Incarnation, yeah. Uh, the title of my book is Beyond the Self beyond the self is is pointing out that that beyond our ideas of ourselves there is another dimension of who we are this this is beyond any relational experience even before we have any relational experience we already are you know so that Experiences are shaping or we we adopt concepts, beliefs about ourselves, but this is not who we are, you know? So this is kind of hiding this real essence of who we are. I like the the, the word incarnation because for some reason, we, our soul arrives and incarnate in, in this reality. This materialistic reality to provide us with experiences. And uh, thinking on the experiences are kind of the theater to experiment with reality and to grow, you know. And uh, we, we are dedicated to the healing of the trauma. You know, I, I like this statement, this motto of Tichnachan. There is no lotus without mud.
0: No lotus without mud. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There is no. We like in our culture the, the lotus, the flowers, the happiness. Mm-hmm. We we try to deny our suffering, our shadow, our mud. You know, but you don't have. You do not have uh, the lotus if you do not accept the mud. Mm-hmm. So that's a very beautiful metaphor of how embracing. Uh, possessing or inhabiting our experience, our suffering, mm. it will arise a deeper sense of who we are, mm. a deeper sense of uh, our humanity. And we have witnessed this so many times in trauma healing, with or without brain spotting, that when we unburden and release the energy of the suffering, mm. uh, it comes a the deep, deeper sense of joy, love, compassion, altruism, uh, spontaneity, liveliness. That's the, the treasure of our humanity. And it, it uh, pushes us to a deep, uh, a higher dimension as human beings. So I think that Uh, the spirituality is something that is always there inside of every one of us. And when we uh, clean the clouds, the trauma put over our uh, deeper sense of our soul, this uh, nature, spiritual nature just appear and just goes into higher levels. And uh, I think this is the work we should do, you know. Mm-hmm. To, nowadays is called, is also known as the by, spiritual bypass. So many people, uh, because trying to escape from the trauma, mm-hmm. go into spirituality, just trying to find a, a solution. This is not the, the good solution, because the sense of the spirituality as trying to uh, fly away from the pain. Uh, is not stable never stable even could even be worse because when you go into these states of mind meditation the defense is lower and what is underneath the defenses just pop up mm. and if the person is not ready to pre- prepare their nervous system is not prepared to just uh, handle these emotions these strong emotions do not find anybody. To hold uh, anybody inside the person,
2: you know.
0: Yeah, well, there's a lot there. That's lovely. Um, uh, I was just thinking about you using the word incarnation there as a beginning, and um, yeah, I love that. And I was, I was just thinking the 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 word incarnation and you'll notice be in spanish better than us english but but what does carne mean carne mean yeah what does carne mean the soma the ah, body the soma the body yeah and uh, sometimes it means if you order something uh, con carne it's con carne. with meat right it's part of the flesh and the body yeah, yeah. and incarnation then it's taken us back into the meat into the body into the soma and this is where the, this is a lot of the deep spiritual work is happening from that place there. And I hear what you're saying that it' it's a really you know there's no lotus without the mud. We have to go into the murky muddy depths of our feelings, our sensations and there are guides right there are guides in towards our higher healing but we have to go through and work with the trauma to do that and this is why isn't it, it the spiritual bypassing looks like an attractive option but with somebody especially with more complex trauma there's a lot of skill to be able to navigate and negotiate the terrain the territory of trauma and this is kind of the work that we're we're trying to do and you mentioned brain spotting there it how do you how hmm, what's brain spotting given you mario to be able to really Try to work with the deeper subcortical and embodied parts of people's sense of self, spirituality, and trauma. How does brain spotting work with that?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, um, what what brain spotting provides is a very precise way to find an open window to access these deep experiences. You know everything that happens in the body is mapped on the brain. Everything is mapped on the brain. We can find in this this visual field. You know, uh, so uh, no therapists do the same work with brain body. So it's it's not so simple as to use this stick or the pointer to find the AI position and uh-huh. promote this this deep processing and healing. It depends so much on the person who is attending, holding the therapist and the perspective. You know that every therapist should first have uh, their self-healing to be able to go into these deeper layers. Uh, Trauma is a silent screen in the body of ourselves, you know, and um, another characteristic of trauma is avoidance. We became phobic to our experiences. Mm-hmm. So it's the therapist that the one that has to have the courage to go into this health, client's health, with, with strength, compassion, presence. When so so, the therapist has the main task of helping many, many tasks, but helping first the, the, the brain of the client to perceive that now the external environment, the therapeutic relationship is a safe place and is, is a different reality in the present than, than in the past. Mm. That's, that's prepared brain, this subcortical this brain, to not perceive the external environment as still a Threaten and lower the, the activity enough for this prefrontal area to come in, which uh, with this uh, task of meta reflection, which is mindfulness.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now the brain is ready to look inside mm-hmm. instead of reacting towards the outside to come back to look inside and to do the task of self healing. You know, this is what spotting provides is this way of being very deeply attuned, finding these uh, trauma capsules that could, could focus on trauma, but, you know, you know, every everyone should know that we can find also uh, positive experiences or in spiritual experiences. Mm. You know, uh, that's part of the understanding of the therapist, how much a client could could handle with strong emotions or not, or if accessing or helping with activating a resource neural network to be at the same time active with the traumatic uh, neural network, you know, Mm -hmm. the for this brain spotting is so, so, so powerful, that we can awake and then find the eye position to focus the brain, to keep the brain focused on, on any experience and provide uh, uh, this, this very deep reprocessing healing experience. I don't know if I'm answering the question you me.
0: Oh, you're answering it beautifully and so richly. It makes me think of the way you're talking about that. I was just thinking you're kind of touching on so many resources here resources not in the kind of word and way that's often used traditionally in psychotherapy and psychology like a resource is some kind of external and auxiliary way of feeling better temporarily maybe a bit like spiritual bypassing (coughs) excuse me but the resource is there it was lovely you're talking about the brain being the best resource when it meets itself, as we s- manage to move from looking outwards externally, we're taking our attention back into the brain, interoceptively, mindfully, going into the body, the experience. And this is where the deeper knowledge is there in the body and deeper brain. And this becomes itself a massive resource for healing. but something we've been programmed out of a bit as uh, humans. But what the other resource I've I've, touched on at the beginning of that, which sounds really rich and I love so much is that the therapist has to have done their work. The therapist has to be able to create another resource, another layer of resource in the connection and the interpersonal attunement to be able to hold the client so that they can hold themselves and be with what's going on internally. So there's this lovely concentric kind of zones of resourcing and on com, upon resourcing upon resourcing.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I coined a term for this, which is in the chapter five of my book, which is the healing battle. You know, now the therapist create this healing battle, and the therapist should be in this in on his state of presence, clean of himself. Oh. You know, uh, first as go the therapist is acting as a detective and and formulating and organizing the frame, helping the client's brain to go inside, to connect internally with the experience that normally is being avoided. But the second step is is for the therapist just to help the client to be in this self-study mode, the mindfulness, the internal loving observer that now is ready as Pierre-Jeanette said, to possess this experience, the experience that is coming, emerging from this subcortical brain and the body. And now this experience is received by this observer mind. You know, uh, this is a requirement for self-healing because as I told before, the characteristic of trauma, trauma do not heal because we fly from the experience, from our suffering. So, we need to help the client to come back and to see the experience, this experience that is still wired in our uh, limbic brain, but now with the presence of this observer mind. Mm. And brain spotting out this focus on finding the eye position just now to keep focus on this. Mm. So now, uh, the task of the therapist in the second stage is to to just help the client to keep observing Uh and to keep embracing the experience from the bottom bottom up. There is a bubble inside the healing bubble. The bubble that the therapist uh, create, the frame, relational frame, but there is another bubble inside the client the client now, opening, open and willing to accept, to read, to listen, the message of his her experience.
0: Mm. I love the way you put that. It's like the, there's a deeper internal wisdom. And when we stop turning away from it and turn towards it, this is where our healing happens. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Mario Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been lovely being in a, a bubble with you. It's always a wonderful bubble to be in. So, <laughs> thank you. And I know you train so many therapists as well as all of your clients and all the wonderful brain spotting trainings you're doing and the books you've written. And I'll put links to all of these things, all of your lovely work down below so that people can access those and continue to be enriched by all of your skill and experience. And um, it's just been great spending time with you again. Thank you, Mark. And Thank you again for just doing this
1: because that's my commitment on creating a um, society informed by trauma and sensitive to trauma. And you are doing a good job with this to allow more and more people to know about this phenomenon. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that episode, and if you're curious to find out more about this guest of the show, then please see their links below. Thank you for joining me for Awe in Trauma. Until next time, bye-bye.